anyway, it's is it are we is it the twelfth day of Christmas? Is it the first day of Christmas? How many mm, days of Christmas? I don't think we're starting them yet, but they're coming soon. The pipers will be a piping. Lords a leaping. And uh the screeners are rolling in. Oh boy. And you know, people are upset at the streaming networks that are sending out DVD that screeners of really their shows. Me. Which is insane and there is uh, a writer who's donating a lot of it to uh, a school which is very cool oh good but <laughs> you, you you definitely want the youth of america to you know have the snap of of marvel marvelous yeah. mrs Mizell. catch up on dialogue. jack ryan yes uh but one thing people should be watching in those screeners whether you watch the screener or you just watch it on amazon prime is transparent oh yes i mean one of the greatest queer shows of our time mm-hmm. With a complicated history, of course, course. but we were very lucky and it feels like such a holiday gift to have this week's guest, um, who was a uh, writer and producer and actor on the Transparent Musicale finale, Uh which is so moving. And uh, I go on and on about it in this interview, but um, I urge everybody to catch up on the show if you haven't watched the finale. Cry your heart out and enjoy. And rock out. And yeah. With Shakina, Shakina. Shakina Nafak after the break. We're back with Shakina Nafak. Shakina. Hey. Welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here with you guys. Good to have you. You've just poured yourself a cold. A cold brew has been poured for you. Poured We're going to be me. tracking your energy level mm-hmm. over the course of this interview and see if you're levitating by the end of it. Great. Yeah. But so your energy is already great. Thank you. Oh, out out the gate. Thank <laughs> you. It's a Monday morning, but you're bringing sunshine. Yeah. That's thank right. you. Yeah. Always have to. Um, what is on your LA agenda while you're here? While I'm here, I'm I'm like in and out of town so quick this time mm-hmm. for Manifest Pussy, my solo show. I'm uh-huh. doing the second performance at Rockwell Table and Stage tonight. Which should be great. Yes, which hopefully yeah. by the time this comes out, I will have seen and I'll be, you have I'll seen, be raving about. You'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you're back to New York. And then I'm out of town. Yep. Back to New York. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a quick one. I have a show on Saturday there. So I uh, still have to rehearse with the band and get it all together. Uh-huh. Where do you perform in New York? Joe's Pub, mostly. Love it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's like my artistic home out there. So... We'll get into, we were already talking transparent. We'll, we'll get in. I'm going to make you repeat all of the brilliant sure. things you were saying off mic. But um, I guess for what, what are there shows that you're binging right now? Uh, I just started watching Living With Yourself with my boyfriend, which is really a cool show to watch with your partner. Oh, uh, wow. Because it's about a lot of uh, interpersonal relationship dynamics and expectations and stuff but from a funny, irreverent lens. This is the, the Paul Rudd. The Paul Rudd. Yeah. Know, the way you started saying that, I assumed that you meant living with yourself featuring my boyfriend, Paul Rudd. Oh, right? that's Because he is yes. kind of everyone's boyfriend. Yeah, yes. he does have that sort of every boyfriend quality. Yeah. Yeah. He's a dream boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, in fact. But what is the premise of the show? He's he clones a, himself. Okay. He's like a, living a miserable life and he clones himself and the clone is his like much better version. Great. Yeah. Sort of. And that has the... Your yeah, without spoiling anything, I'm only like five episodes in. But okay. Yeah, but it gets deep into why he made that decision and how his partner feels about it mm-hmm. and what decision she makes in response. And yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so growing up, who were the, who were the heroes? Who were the performers that you looked to? What posters were on the wall? Yeah, I, so it's so weird because, you know, I didn't have... There weren't like 
specific role models for kids like me when I was growing up. So I, you had to sort of invent um, translations and mm-hmm. associations to make it work. So, you know, certainly Tim Curry and Rocky Horror was like a big role model for me. Sure. But also I had like a lot of um, anger and aggression as a teenager. And so I had like Marilyn Manson on my walls because at least he could wear makeup, right. you know? Yeah. So um, you sort of just, you look for ways to like make pop culture work for you. I was really into Tori Amos and Ani DeFranco um, and like all the sort of, you know, riot girls of the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Cause they taught me about feminism and how to use my anger for good. Um, so yeah. And, and it was you- like Broadway shows and, and like riot girl. Nice. Which Broadway shows? Oh, Rent, of course, because I'm a child course, in the 90s. Of course. Yeah, so I, you know, got I saw myself in Angel is uh, yeah. you know, for the first time. Have you revisited Rent as an adult? Yeah, it's a period piece. It sure is. It's a period piece for sure. I was actually at the live taping last year when they did oh, yeah, it here. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a trip to kind of see how they they made it fit a new generation of fans. Mm-hmm. But it was it's so rooted in the late 90s moment that it just it it kind of holds that still. Yeah, I was the kid when I, I was living in New York and I was like trying to, I did the lottery like every weekend yeah. and saw it a million times and left my backpack backstage one time. So I got to come the next day and go backstage to and see like where the, everyone, of course, it was like the best <laughs> day of my life. But it does feel like it's come full circle where I think people who were sort of rent stands then it became cringe, cringy. Yeah. And now it's feels like it's, come it's okay back to love it again. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's, I've noticed that too. There was definitely a moment where I kind of disassociated from my fandom. Yeah. And then was like, wait a minute. I saw the show 22 times. I love it. It's, I still cry. I know every word. 22 times. Yeah. In New York, California. Yeah. yeah. Around. I mean, over the course of several years, but still. When it was problematic, why was it problematic? Well, I think one of the reasons it's problematic is because it paints a white straight, male is the hero of AIDS and HIV. Right. So that's a little troubling. Yeah. Um, the, you know, ambiguous portrayal of Angel, we, we now I think would understand as a trans person or at least a non-binary person. Um, but um, And, you know, and some of the like, oh, we're just going to like sing some songs about drugs and sex and AIDS. Yeah. You know, mm. it sort of lost its charm for a minute. But then found it again. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> did you uh, did you get into Tick Tick Boom? Because that now that is being turned oh, into right. the major film. I saw. Picture. I got into the Broadway, the Off Broadway revival that happened a couple years ago because I yeah. had some friends involved in it. I wasn't um, crazy about Tick Tick Boom. Yeah. I think I was more interested in the characters that Jonathan Larson was writing about in Rent than I was like Jonathan Larson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, now the Jonathan Larson project is out, which is this incredible um, recording that they cre- that was created by a bunch of um, Broadway folks spearheaded by Jennifer Tepper out in New York. And it's a collection of songs that are lesser known um, that they did in oh, concert wow. for a few times and made an album of. And it's a really incredible way to, to actually learn a lot more about the contributions that he was poised to make to musical theater. Um, so it's an incredible offering to, to have that now, but I would think when, when during rent time and soon thereafter, I was more so seeking other queer narratives that I could identify with. So tick, tick, boom, didn't have a lot for me then. Mm -hmm. And there is like a supporting queer character, but I got really into falsettos, um, which is William Finn's, uh, show series and, um, Hedwig of course was like a huge, 
you know, late 90s revolution for me. And when were and were you performing other than doing the whole rent soundtrack in your bedroom? Were Mm -hmm. you performing this entire time? No, you know, I was working a little bit like in college. I did some drag performance, but I really resisted the idea of being a drag queen uh, because when I started doing drag, I felt like it was dividing my male and female presentation in a way that was like bifurcating when Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do was create a synthesis. So even when I was, you know, like 18 or 19 in in college, and this is like in 99, 2000, I, I called myself a transgender performance artist, not a drag queen. I wanted to be like really clear that that's what I was exploring in my art. Um, But I focused more so on being a director and then later a producer. And that's really where I spent years of my life working until, uh, until I transitioned. And then it was like, I did a solo show and I booked difficult people and like my life changed and I became an actress. Yeah. But that took 33 years to get there, which is nuts. Wow. But a blessing. It sure is. Yeah. Um, so how did difficult people come about? I mean, it was, it was just an audition, you know, uh, they knew that they wanted to cast a character, a person who could help them develop the the role. Mm -hmm. So after my audition, I had a meeting and this is sort of out of the ordinary. Usually you would have some sort of like screen test or something, but I had a meeting with the writers with uh, Julie Klausner and Scott King. And then I did a table read of two episodes that were for season two with like the entire cast and a bunch of executives. And I still hadn't been offered the job, but I was there for this table read where all the actors sit around these folding tables with the scripts in front of them. And we read through the show and there's a bunch of, executive people there to make decisions about it, including whether or not they should cast me. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had in one of the episodes, uh, the first one we read, I had a line on like page 17 that um, that was really my only line in the episode. And it actually didn't make the final draft and is not in the show. But we started the reading and Billy Eichner was on the phone, like calling in from LA. And, and we were all just like, you know, sitting around the table with this phone on speaker doing the script. And I just kept looking to page 17 being like, Oh my God, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. And I'm gonna have to say this line. It's going to have to be perfect. And then, uh, we got there and I said the line and everyone cracked up and I was like, Oh, thank God. And then we, this, the, the like laughter settled and then we got ready to go again. And then Billy started laughing again on the phone. Oh, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> This job is mine. Hey, yes. <laughs> what was the line? Uh, it was um, it was something to do with the Fantastics. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was um, singing Try to Remember, which is like a song from the Fantastics, but I was making it about September 11th. I don't remember exactly <laughs> what it was anymore, but I had to like sing Try to Remember this time in September, you know, right. when Bush did 9-11, basically. Because you were a 9-11 truther. I was a truther. That was a big part of your yeah. yeah, Yeah. And so that was, that was like this really incredible moment where I was like, I felt like Sally Field, like, you like me, yes. you really like me, you know, because the, the to, to land the joke amongst this, you know, this team of some of the funniest people in show business, you know, Andrea Martin, Billy Eichner, Julie Klausner, like, it was just like, these people are That's, legends, yeah. you know? So what is your self-talk like from pages one to 17? It was just like, just stay calm and and give it like you've been giving it because I I had been rehearsing you know the the one line um, how I wanted to deliver it and I was just like just trying to stay present and not freak out. Yeah, I was sitting next to Derek Baskin, who's now you know Tony nominated on Broadway again, and uh, and after that happened, he just like grabbed my arm and he was like, "You got this." Yeah, yeah, nice. it was cool. Can you tell the story of your 
I I think most famous line from the show. <laughs> the fuck you, fuck you, Marcy. Marcy. <laughs> yeah, I'm really proud of that actually. So we um we had so I was hired as not only an actress but also as a consultant so that I could contribute jokes to the show and uh, before seasons two and three, I would give them a sort of write up of what I thought were hot button topics in trans discourse so that we could be ahead of the joke and actually creating material that that spoke from the place of, uh, you know, uh, power rather mm -hmm. than like being laughed at. And so uh, the script said, um, just because I'm trans, you think I'm a sex worker? This is talking to Marcy, who is the CPR teacher who says that I should know this women's clinic because they they serve as sex workers. Mm -hmm. And and I was like, you know, um, I don't think that's like good enough. I don't think I want to say that or Lola would say that. I just kind of want to say, fuck you, Marcy. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and they were like, okay, can you say that but still say the other line? And I was like, sure, I guess. And so it, that whole scene is improvised. Um, basically I launched it with fuck you, Marcy, just cause I'm trans. You think I'm a sex worker. And then Billy and Cole just started in on her and, and it was hysterical. And everyone's chanting, fuck you, Marcy. Everyone's chanting, fuck you, Marcy and saying different things. Yeah. And yeah. It, and suddenly I mean, you're a meme. Suddenly I'm lots and lots of memes and t-shirts and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Just because I was like, this line needs to be a little fiercer. Yeah. yeah. The, um, the other line that people talk about a lot is that, um, there's an episode where they discover that somebody, a guy in their life has done porn and they're at the restaurant and they're watching oh, yeah. and they're talking about how he has. Derek a, used to, yeah, yeah, yeah Derek's sorry, character Derek used to do has, porn. Yes. And they're talking about how well endowed he is. Uh -huh. And then. Yeah. I think Lola I say like, uh, hmm, mine was bigger. Yeah. <laughs> which I also added. And, oh, you did? Yeah. Because they never would have written that. That was, that was way too edgy and, and problematic. But I was like, well, if I say it, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. And what was the response to that? I mean, I think people laughed and guffawed, you know, on set too. People were like pretty shocked that we were going that far. Um, you know, I am a boundary pusher in the trans community. I, I feel like I don't really subscribe to uh, respectability politics, which is this idea that you have to be um, seen as like safe in order to be welcomed in and assimilated as a m minority culture. So I don't, I don't really, um, you know, give into that so much. I also think that there's like a really strong uh, movement from the trans community to cis folks saying like, please get over your genital curiosity. Like you do not need to know about our bodies, um, which is true, but also where I come from and like why I have manifest pussy and stuff is that I feel like it's still something people wonder about and there's still questions and curiosity. It's going to be there. And so I've always felt really comfortable sort of demystifying some of that stuff through my creative work. It's always been about body and gender and sexuality and faith and identity. And so, you know, while I think most trans people who are activists and, and artists out in the public sphere are trying to steer the conversation away from body parts, uh, I think like, Meh, I can still crack a joke because yeah. it's a real thing. And, and it causes people anxiety. People yeah. really are like really stressed out thinking about whether or not I have a dick or a vagina. <laughs> and um, so sometimes it's helpful just to be like, yo, there's a pussy here. It's uh -huh. fine. We can move on. Yeah. But yeah, and I, because we are sort of taught, I mean, those, if we're paying attention, we are sort of taught like genitalia does not have a place in, in like trans 
conversations. Right. And you're sort of challenging that, but you're also the one who's controlling the narrative. Exactly. So it feels a little different. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was just talking with someone else about this recently that this entire nation is built off castration anxiety. You know, I mean, like that's all patriarchy is, is like the fear of someone cutting off your dick. So, um, and the like lengths you'll go to, to preserve your intact manhood. Mm. And so I think it's important and disruptive to comment on it. There's a part in manifest pussy where I, in graphic detail, walk the audience through what the actual, procedure is, you know, for gender, for my gender confirmation, which is different than other people's. Um, and I, I like speak very graphically about what's being cut and what's being snipped and what's being sewn up. And, uh, and just, and then I'm like, okay, now have a drink and let's move on. Mm. Cause people, you know, they wonder. Yeah. So we got to talk about transparent. Yes. The musicale finale. Musicale finale, whatever. So what, is that how it was? No, no, no. I, I say musicale finale and I think Jill says musicale finale. Musicale finale. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did they find you? How did you get involved? I, I was found because I, I mean, I had applied to be a writer on the show a couple of times. So I think they knew who I was. Uh, also there aren't or weren't at the time a great amount of trans performers who were like high profile activists. And I had really been at the forefront of the trans representation movement in the Broadway community. So I was performing at this benefit for the Gender Family Project, which is a nonprofit out in New York that does work for families that have trans or gender nonconforming kids. And the, the gala was honoring the Soloways and Faith Soloway was there and heard me sing a song from Manifest Pussy and then was like, oh, you know, I'm thinking of making Transparent a musical. And at the time I was like, yeah, right. Like everyone's making a musical about something, you know. Um, and, and admittedly, as a trans person at that time, I was sort of like, you Y'all have enough, you know, yeah. like you've dominated the conversation enough. Yes. Sorry. What was your take on the show previously? I mean, I, I loved the writing of the show. I loved the characters of the Pfeffermans. Um, I binged the show every season as soon as it came out, but I was always frustrated um, and, and kind of injured, you know, by the portrayal of Mora. And I don't think that's Jeffrey's fault. He didn't cast himself, you know. Um, I don't think it's necessarily anyone's fault because it seems like that was the decision that had to be made in order to get the show made back in the day. But, you know, by the time he was up there getting his second Emmy Award and said that, you know, he hoped he was the last person to win an award for being a cis person playing a transgender part, I was like, yeah, so what are you going to do about it? Mm. You going to sit down? You know, let someone else take over? And then, of course, that ended up happening, but not of his own, you know, will. Right. And I was saying to you before, it's like before I, I'm I'm a big fan of the show when I would binge every season, like the day it came out. And I, you know, when all of that stuff happened and it was obvious that the show wasn't going to go on or at least not the way people expected. I think fan, I think we're all grieving, you know, and, and um, it was so fitting that then the the finale is kind of a story of grief, but it's not centered on the actor at all. And a trans woman does, you know, sort of step into that role. Yeah. Yeah. If only for a moment, you know, but it's Mm -hmm. victorious moment. It's fun. The movie is like art imitating life, imitating art, imitating life, because 
you know, on one hand, we see Shelley creating this story about her family in order to cope, you know, and then the and then the the actual family members being like, how how can you replace us with these actors? But that's exactly what Jill and Faith did to create Transparent to begin with. So I think in Ari's journey in the film, you really get an insight into what Jill was wrestling with, both in their non-binary identity and in the question of like how what it's like to see your own self and family fed back to you on a show that you created. Mm. Um, so there was a lot there that I think, I mean, I really look forward to a couple of years from now when some gender studies scholars who are doing like cultural media studies classes write some sort of brilliant paper on the the deep, you know, psychological significance of the symbolism in the film because mm-hmm. it is so rich um, and really deserves to be unpacked like that. Yeah. And I, I think deserves more attention than it has gotten. Like, uh, you know, I, I, of course, Watch of the Day came out, sobbed through the whole thing, as I think all the, the real fans did. But I, I, I have been kind of surprised that it hasn't gotten the reception that I, it feels like it deserves. You know, I have been surprised too. And yet I keep having these uh, reminders. I, when, when I get in place periods of like, you know, wrestling with the unknown and fighting the anxiety that comes from being a, a artist without a steady job, I, I always like listen to the wind and look for signs and like think about like, okay, well, please universe affirm this path for me if this is really the thing. And, you know, when I was flying out here last time for the first Manifest Pussy show, someone was watching the finale on their computer in front of me on the plane. And I was like, okay, that feels great. Mm -hmm. And then today when I was like waiting for the lift on the way to come to the um, podcast, uh, someone rode by on their bike and was like, oh, were you on the transparent finale? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, I just watched it. It was so great. So I feel like maybe people are still discovering it. You know, there's so much content and it takes a while to wade through things. Um, But I do feel that like part of, Um, I was saying before we started rolling that, Mm. you know, in our day and age uh, with the abundance of media out there, that attention is really manufactured and, and people, people have to um, allocate resources to, you know, magnetizing attention. And um, I hope that more, you know, queer content creators shine the light on this film. I hope that more publications shine the light on this film. Um, you know, maybe we'll see some, you know, interest boiling up in award season, but it really, it takes uh, people with a platform to say this has value and is important. And then it will zoom up to the top of your feed. You know, right. that's just the way things work. Should we take a little break? Let's take a little break. We'll be right back. We're perfect. We're getting an AFAC. We are back with Shakina Nafek. Yay. You mentioned a partner. Oh yeah. Yes, I um I have a boyfriend. His name's Daniel. We've uh-huh. been together for almost four years. In uh-huh. January, it'll be four years. Okay. Wow. Yeah. How'd you meet? Tinder. You know, it was a one night stand that became a two night stand that became a long distance relationship that became cohabitation. And so what was the first interaction, first date? Can you paint yeah. a picture for us? 
Yeah, actually, there's a really beautiful blog I wrote about it on uh, Broke Ass Stewart. Um, because back then, uh, Stewart had asked me to write about like my dating experience as a trans woman. And so I just wrote this thing about this great date. And then it ended up becoming like, you know, the man of my dreams. But uh, we went out for vegan food. I made it really clear that I wasn't going to have sex with him. Like when we just connected on Tinder, I was like, I only want to go out on a date. Because here's the thing. <sighs> Maybe this is changing. I hope it changes quicker. But like... Lots of dudes want to fuck trans women. Very few dudes want to go on dates with trans women. And I had the experience during my transition of like having more sex in those preoperative years than in like my entire life combined because I was such a fetish object. And I was like, well, let me just like work with this and have a good time. But of course, it gets really like lonely and sad to feel like used in that way, even if you're doing it with a sense of, you know, self. Mm. Um and so I was just like, I just want to sit at a restaurant across from a cute guy and flirt and make conversation and like fantasize about making out. And that's what I told him like before we even met, I was like, this is what this is going to be. And he was like, yeah, sounds great. Um, but then of course we ended up fucking, well, not fucking per se. I held on to that for a little while, okay. but, um, but stuff happened. Yeah, after, yeah. Yeah. We went, we, we, we uh, left the restaurant and we got a hotel room and um, and like spent a, an amazing night together. And he helped me explore my new body in ways that I had not yet done. And that was really cool. Yeah. And then I was like all kind of sad that I was like, well, I guess that's it. And then I was in town for like one more day because I was just like visiting family in San Diego. And we met and and we decided to meet up one more time and we went to Balboa Park and like walked around and like made wishes in a fountain. It was oh like God. very romantic. We kissed in the rain, you know, and I was like, what, what is this guy? Like he's so advanced in his thinking and awareness and comfort level. And, um, and then I went back to New York and I was like in that sort of, you know, malaise that comes from after like a really great date when you're like, that was that. And then you just, whatever and dealing with the humdrum of everyday life and suddenly he just texted me like poke and i was like oh my god yes <sighs> and um yeah and then we 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 maintained a long distance relationship for like a year and a half and then he moved out to new york wow i know from san diego i know to jersey actually i was living in jersey when oh. he, and he moved to jersey oh this is real that was real yeah real yeah for sure so we live together in harlem now it's great uh, it's, you know, relationships are hard work. And I think that like being um, a, a post-operative gender non-conforming trans woman like brings its own complications to the table. And he's pretty great at working through that. And we both have our own, you know, traumas and idiosyncrasies that we're trying to work through together and individually. So, you know, we aspire to be conscious. And this was all pre-Difficult People? And well, actually, yeah. I met him after I had booked the show, but before I had started shooting it. So did becoming even more public, becoming a meme, all of that, how, did, did that affect the relationship? You know, I, I don't think so. I think he was game for it from the beginning. One of the first things he said to me when we like met, before we went to the restaurant even, he was like, you are really important to a lot of people. And I was like, I don't know, you know, and um, and he's like, and you know what? It's going to happen so fast. Like you're going to be not ready for it and then it's going to happen and then it's going to be big. And and I asked him on that first date, I was like, so would you be intimidated to walk down a red carpet with me? And he was like, no, 
which is like, again, from all these dudes who like wouldn't even go out for coffee, you know, after hooking up with me, mm-hmm. um, to have a guy be like, yeah, I'd walk next to you on a red carpet was a dream. And then we actually did it, you know, when Difficult People came out that summer, season two oh. premiere. Yeah, it was really special. What do you attribute his sort of, his like advancement? Advancement. Yeah. I think, well, he's very emotionally intelligent. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he's also um, a millennial. So he has a different understanding of sex and gender. I think like, you know, his generation, I think grew up watching porn and like trans folk feature predominantly in, in cis het porn desire. So, you know, I'm sure he had seen his fair share of tranny sex. I can say that you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so I think there's something about, I mean, cause all the guys that I hooked up with during my transition time were all like at least 10 to 12 years younger than me. Yeah. And they just had a different understanding and a different appreciation. Yeah. Um, and so he's, he's younger than me. So I think that age difference has something to do with it. I also, you know, think that he has a really, um, he grew up Jehovah's witness. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And, um, as sort of, um, culty and problematic as that is, and for all this maybe negative impact it might've had on his sense of spiritual self, it also gave him a very, you know, thoughtful and independent, uh, moral compass. And I think he just, you know, understands what matters and what doesn't. And so that helped. And it seems like spirituality plays a big part in your own life. Yeah. And so how, how did you grow up? I grew up Jewish. Um, and I, I talk about this a lot in Manifest Pussy. I grew up Jewish, but I um, converted to Christianity uh, when I started my transition. And it was like a big, my quest for faith and my, you know, encounter encounters with um, the Holy Trinity, let's say, really shaped my um, approach to gender transition. And um, how so? So, well, because I really, I spent so long telling myself that like God doesn't make mistakes and your body is your body for a reason. You don't need to change anything. And then um, I had, I was doing a lot of work in Mexico and growing up in Southern California, I just kept feeling this affinity to the Virgin Mary, like especially like La Virgen de Guadalupe, which we see like everywhere here in LA. And, um, and I began to really connect with her as a, as a visual representation of the divine feminine and, and rely on her for spiritual guidance. And then one day she said to me, like, how can you believe in me and not my son? And then I was like, Oh shit. So I contemplated that for many years. And when I moved to New York, um, this is the part I talk about manifest pussy. I, I saw people writing the Bible, reading the Bible on the subway. And I thought like, Oh my God, that's so crazy. Like, I love how they're just out there in public reading the Bible. Like that's their activity. They're not on their phones, whatever. And I was like, I want to see what that's like. So I went on a Bible and was like, what if I tried to like explore my faith on the train? And, um, and I was reading the new Testament on the, on the subway. And I came across a passage that, um, is often invoked to, justify celibacy in the priesthood. Um, but, uh, it's actually a passage about eunuchs and Jesus says, um, not many of you can receive this saying only to those to whom it is given. There are those who are born eunuchs from their mother's womb. There are those who are made eunuchs by men. And then there are those who make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. 
Let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. And those words, I'm sure you've had this experience in other ways, but those words literally lifted off the page in like bold, vibratory text. And and I was like, well, fuck yeah. I'm a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven. That's my whole plan. That's my whole plan. Sorry. Plan. Yeah. Path. That's what I'm here for. The plath. That's the your plath. Whole plan meets the path. path. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. my plath. <laughs> and, um, and so, and then there was more, you know, sort of, uh, synchronicities, but, but I ended up getting baptized soon after by a gay pastor who, when I met him was preaching on the eunuch and I was like, well, this is great. Wow. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and I've had really transcendent, um, religious experiences beyond just Christianity too. I'm definitely like a philosopher of comparative religion, you know, which is what like Marianne Williamson calls herself. I think it's true. A lot of people nowadays in the sort of new age globalized world are drawing from yoga and Buddhism and um, Christianity and the Kabbalah. And so all these, you know, forces that have been around for like thousands of years, ways of thinking, um, containers of knowledge are now available to us in new ways. And for me, the mix just seemed to be, you know, one in which um, Christ was pretty central. What particular area of Christianity did you land in? I ended up being baptized in a Lutheran church, but that was like really just because like the circumstances that brought me there. I was working the yeah. theater company that was using their basement for rehearsals. And mm-hmm. I met the pastor and went to a service and he was preaching on the eunuch. And I was like, boom, you know, actually my baptism was accidentally broadcast downstairs in the multipurpose room where the theater company was rehearsing Fiddler on the Roof of all things. <laughs> during rehearsal during there's... rehearsal and they could like hear my baptism happening on the loudspeaker and it was just it's you know because Fiddle on the Roof is all about preserving Jewish tradition and, uh-huh. and and I will never like you know I carry that with me I'm always gonna be Jewish I'm just a messianic Jew huh. and how does the is there a daily practice or how does this kind of look in your day-to-day life I, I, I wish in, in my best moments, my strongest spiritual armor moments, I have a daily practice that involves like prayer and communion and journaling. Um, but, in, you know, for the most part, um, it's a, for me, it's a mindfulness practice. Uh, I, I really like live my life in prayer most of the time. Um, I try to think about my connection to the divine, even in sex and masturbation. I'm like really in tune with my purpose here being one that's spiritually led. Um, and I, you know, um, I've been through a lot in my life, a lot of, a lot of trauma and, and, um, and so that has left me with a lot of, um, you know, struggles with mental health in terms of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress. And, and so in, in, when those things become, um, you know, vibratory in me when it feels like this, this welling up of anxiety or depression or whatever is, is becoming overwhelming. I can turn to my prayer life to like dampen that, you know? And I found for me that, that, um, that prayer has a way of, of, um, yeah. Silencing those Mm -hmm. demons literally. So has that always been sort of your primary source of heat? Like has this therapy ever? Oh, I've been, I'm in therapy. I'm a huge advocate for therapy. I've been in therapy in and out for most of my life. Um, I found, um, thanks to the Broadway musical next to normal that, um, I no longer want to take psychopharmaceuticals because I had been on medication for like the better part of my life. 
um, by the time I hit 30 and I saw that show in New York and realized that um, it wasn't that I was actually depressed or anxious or whatever. It was that I had never been able to mourn the little girlhood that I never had mm -hmm. and all the crazy shit that I went through as a boy, unfortunately. But, um, but I was like, wow, I'm not, I'm not depressed. I'm not anxious. I'm, I'm not traumatized. I'm just like, haven't grieved. And, and that show is so much about a mother who loses her child, who was never given the chance to grieve because she's like put on different meds after different meds after different meds. And I saw myself in her story and made a decision that I would, um, find a different way. And it's still a, a journey that I'm on um, because it's challenging when you have a predisposition toward, I wouldn't say predisposition, but a tendency toward, um, you know, anxious or depressive thought patterns um, to know that there is like a certain type of help available to you that you're eschewing in, in favor of a different type of help. And I think those things can work in tandem and I'm a total advocate for, um, people taking the medication they need uh, when they need it. I just found for me that um, the guess and test of it all was really throwing me for a loop and I had no kind of center. And so um, when I made the choice to focus on um, my spiritual life as a key to mental health, uh, it changed a lot of things for me. It also unlocked my transition and, you know, stuff like that. And were you able to mourn the the girlhood that you didn't have? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a process still. You know, I'm always faced with, um, you know, they call it in, in like um, the medical world dysphoria, which is this like this feeling that you don't fit in your own body or you don't, it, there's some sort of incongruence that is like insurmountable in your relationship to your own self. And, um, you know, I mean, there's little things like I had a freak out the other day because I was trying to like style my wig for an event. And, you know, I didn't grow up with hair and or long hair and I never learned how to do these things. So, you know, I'm not as skilled. I've only had a few years of like working with a curling iron, you know, unlike most women my age who, if they use them, have been using them since they were, you know, teenagers. And so I was like so frustrated that I didn't have this wisdom, you know, this of like knowing how to do this right. Um, when now that there's like trans folk coming out so young and being able to block puberty and they don't have to go through like an androgenic voice change, you know, when I hear like, I mean, I love and I'm obsessed with and adore Kim Petras, but when I hear her sing, sometimes it like hurts me because I fantasize about what it must be like to feel those notes coming out of my throat, which will never happen, you know? Yeah, you you really do sort of lean into the deeper, richer, lower notes that are in your voice when yeah. you sing. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've trained enough uh, to know my range and, and like exploring my range. You'll see in Manifest Pussy, there's actually a song where I sing as an elephant. Um, because when I was in Thailand for gender confirmation, I spent a week on an elephant sanctuary uh, working with abused elephants. And so I... I invoke her one of them uh, in my show and I sing as her in the most baritone voice that I can fathom but it's still a lady elephant yeah. um and yeah and then I'm also you know hitting like high d's and scrolling out so I think uh I'm tr I, my project is to try and embrace 
the capacity that my present body has. And one of those things is that because I'm like 6'2 and broad, I have this very spacious, you know, sound capacity. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, and listen, there are times when like, I think about like, oh, if I could just always live up here and sort of coach myself into having a high femme voice, then people wouldn't call me sir all the time. But that's just like not who I am. It's not who I am. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Transparent, the music hail finale is mm-hmm. out, it's and out. Uh, hopefully we'll continue to, you know, garner more and more attention, and uh, hopefully more live shows will be happening soon. Yeah, manifest pussy, check it out. What else? What do you want to do next? Well, um, I am writing a play called Chonbury International Hotel and Butterfly Club. It's a long name, but you could just call it Butterfly Club for short. And it's about more about my time in Thailand, but about the like incredible community of people that I met when I was staying in this hotel recovering from the surgery. Um, so uh, that should be having um, some life in the coming year. Mm-hmm. And I'm also pitching a TV pilot uh, that I'm developing with uh, Smack out here in LA. Um, I really want to make some kind of, well, in my head, I call it a Netflix special, but I don't really know what form it will be. But I I hope that Manifest Pussy can be captured and shared on like a streaming platform. My vision for that is that I can go on the road with it through the heartland. And um, it would be like Madonna's Truth or Dare documentary, except it would be like, you know, a Shakina doing Manifest Pussy in the Red States. And so you'd see the whole show, but you'd be like, oh, that song was done in Kentucky and this song was done in Nashville. And, you know, and we get to see you actually interact with, with the, the people. people. Yeah. When I was in North Carolina with the show, that was the most incredible thing was meeting folks who came out and who sort of received the story I was sharing, but then had their own stories to share as well. And I, and I think especially right now in this political moment, it's so important that we understand that there are queer and or progressive folks in all of those red states who are fighting, you know, for visibility and to stake a claim in the places that they're at. And when you were in North Carolina, you were there uh, specifically during the time of the um, HB2. Yeah. The anti-trans bathroom bill, uh, as it's often known. And did you have a chance to interface with people who were supporting it, people who were not queer progressives. Yeah, the um, the 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 coolest experience I had. I went on a t- on a conservative talk show, uh, radio show. Oh, wow. um, I I couldn't tell you the guy's name right now, unfortunately. But um, but it was really really wonderful because uh, you know, I sort of watched him, I watched his heart and mind change while we were talking. Really? Yeah, and uh. It was, and, and actually some of his listeners then came to Manifest Pussy and were really moved by the show and talked to me afterwards. So, yeah, you That's know, incredible. it works. Good on you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Please, please come back. Yes, I'm so happy to, to be here with y'all. Yeah, anytime you're in town. Yeah. For sure. We're so excited to see where, where you go on your plath. <laughs> thank you. May the plath <laughs> open. Yes. <laughs> thank you, Shakina. Thank you.